0: Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. We're continuing in our series, Downpour. He will come to us like the rain. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in this together, so by way of review, I want to remind you that we are looking at this series that is rooted in this passage of Scripture and Hosea, don't turn there, but just listen to Hosea 6. It says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. And surely as the sun rises, He will appear. He will come to us like the rain. This downpour, this darting, driving rain engulfing us in His presence, this cry for revival that we find in the book of Hosea is rooting us in this study on downpour a couple weeks ago we looked at the first part of this message it's entitled God on the throne a picture of holiness and we're going to conclude that part of that message tonight and uh, we're, we're looking at how what scripture tells us that we are to start with a very clear understanding of who God is if you want to experience revival if you want to have an outpouring of God we need to start with who he is We looked at what A.W. Tozer wrote to us and said, when we see who God is, we see who we are, and we cannot have an outpouring of the Spirit until we see who we are in light of who God is. Uh, I am hungry for a joy-producing, light-revealing, fresh downpour of grace and mercy of God. I don't want us to lose sight of What this is about and what we're looking at in this study and it's that starting with a clear picture of who God is that we're picking back up on tonight We've been walking through these throne room scenes These pictures of God on the throne in different books of the Bible by different authors over a number of different years But almost seeing the identical thing because God is revealing to him what it looks like for him to be on the throne And these throne room scenes give us a picture of God In his holiness. We have a few more of these scenes I want us to look at together tonight. And keep in mind that until we see God for who he really is, we won't be able to understand who we are. And if we don't understand who we are, we will miss the outpouring, the downpour, like he comes like a darting rain to us. Tonight we're going to be looking at the holiness of God and how it declares his glory and the holiness of God that. That leads to the mystery of God. There's a part when God says, okay, that's enough. You don't know everything about me. You can't handle everything about me right now. And He leaves some things to be a mystery for us about who He is. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. If you like to take notes, there's just a few blanks to fill in tonight, and the first one there before you is this, holiness declares the glory of God. Holiness declares God's glory. We find in Isaiah 6, 3, and it says this, and they were calling to one another. These angelic hosts, almost in in a picture of one line and another calling out back and forth kind of like the red rover lines we had as a kid when you would cry out send somebody right over send don glick right over and see if he can bust through the chain one group of angels calling out to the other group of angels declaring the greatness of god the glory of god and look at what they say holy 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 is the lord god almighty one to another The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Of all the things that God could have had said about Himself, I mean, think about it. I don't think the angels created this on their own without God's approval. They're they're in God's presence in the throne room, this picture that we read in Isaiah. And surely God has approved what would be said about Him. There could have been many things said about Him. God could have had it said about Him. Loving, loving, loving is God Almighty. Merciful, merciful, merciful is God Almighty. But only this one thing was declared in this way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Lord Almighty. Three times it's repeated. It's that... Force. It's that emphasis. It's the power and repetition. In the song we sang tonight, repeat the mercies of God in your song. Let it be said over and over. Let the emphasis drive the point home. And let there be power in the repetition of what it is we say about God. And here it is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, this is something I think we could easily skip over, but we need to understand to see this clear throne room picture of God. We cannot have a downpour. We cannot have revival. We cannot see an outpouring of God's Spirit among us until we clearly see who God is. And when we clearly see who God is, we understand the whole earth declares His glory. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. All of creation is known to him, and it all brings glory to him. There's no place you can go that God has not already been. There is no place that exists that's apart from his influence. The whole earth, the universe, is full of the glory of God. The weather systems are full of the glory of God. That's not to say that every part of the weather I like. I'm with Pastor Edgar. When there's snow days, I don't like it. My my gut wants to be here with you and, and preach, but if you think about the force of weather, what it can do, the snow, just a few inches of snow can bring us... To our knees but think about when that melts remember last winter when we had lots of snow and it began to melt and you found that there were leaks in your house we found leaks in our church that we didn't know existed The weather has great power. And those are just little storm systems we think of here, but yet if you look back over history and you see even in recent history the hurricanes that have come, you see the floods that have come, you see earthquakes that have come, you see this force of nature. Who is the one that controls all nature? Who is the one that has set into motion the way the earth moves and works? This mighty power is in the hand of God. It's sometimes these catastrophes that cause us to question, why would a loving God allow this to happen? But before we get to those kind of questions later on in this series, we need to understand that the very nature that God has created, cry out to His glory. What do you mean, Brady? Well, just think about it. (laughs) Who of us can force it to snow? I don't mean the snow machines at your favorite ski place, but I mean, who of us can cause it to stop snowing? If you can, where were you last week? I needed you. Uh, Who among us can hold back the tide? Who among us can make it rain when we want it to? I'm aware of some current new science that we can begin to try to do some things in the atmosphere and try to manipulate some things that take place and kind of have a pseudo effect of almost kind of creating some weather type systems. But who can control nature the way God can? No one. It's not just the weather system that can declare God's glory, but look at the universe, how it declares God's glory. The earth sits on a perfect axis. You've heard statistics like this before. It's not happenstance. It's not by some accident. If we were tilted earth on its axis just a few degrees in one direction or the other, we would either burn up or we would freeze to death. It is a perfect situation that God, the Creator, has spun into being in the exact right way, at the exact right time, to let life flourish here. All of the universe declares God's glory. Who of us can change the way the earth's axis is and how it rotates? Because we cannot control it because it's bigger and and, and farther than we can even fathom declares the greatness and the glory of God his holiness his holy otherness it it cries out for his glory and the universe declares its glory his glory it's not just even how the earth is our scientists with their current level of understanding right now tell us there's 140 billion galaxies now some of you who are better at science than me could answer the question of how did we count that? And I'm going to let you help educate me on that. But that's what our, our science books tell us. There's 140 billion galaxies. Now how much is 140 billion Here's, here's a picture to help us with what $140 billion is. $140 billion is how many frozen peas it would take to fill the average NFL football stadium. Each one of those frozen peas filling up the stadium, the field, the seats, the grandstands, all the way up to the top. Each one of those frozen peas representing a galaxy. And each one of those P's, each galaxy, would have millions of stars in that galaxy. And each star representing a potential solar system like our own. It it is beyond what we can fathom. The vastness of the universe and all of the order that is in place in that universe screams out the greatness and the glory of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which one of us can Even understand the limits of the galaxies, the universe, let alone keep them in order. The universe is full of His glory. And maybe even greater illustration than that is the very human body that you are in right now. Declaring the greatness, the glory of God. 60,000 miles of blood vessels are in your body. That's about two times around the earth. Your heart beats 100,000 times every day. Daryl, how's that going? You have been working hard at keeping your heart beating? Jim, have you worked hard at that today? It, it, for most of us, just happens. Now, some of us have to have a device to help us stay in rhythm. I understand this. But but the the great creation in our very human bodies... 100,000 times a day, I didn't think about it today. It just kept beating right now. It's beating. The very complexity and the uniqueness of the human body, which we have as a gift from God, scream out the glory and the greatness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're told that the nerve impulses that we have, that tell us when we touch something and the signal that goes to our brain travels 130 meters per second five times faster than lightning. A three-month-old fetus in its mother's womb. Its fingerprints are perfectly situated. Identity right there waiting to experience life as that baby comes out of the mother's womb. And we begin to wonder... What this verse talks about. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth declares His glory. It's full of His glory. Can you keep the earth perfectly situated on its axis? Can you keep all the stars and planets moving perfectly? Can you create, could you plan a a, a living being? Could you create a living being as perfectly, as complex as God can No, no, no. Do you have a suggestion of someone who can? Can you think of a replacement for God? Can you think of a close second, a distant second, a third, a fourth, a tenth? There is no option. There is no one like our God. And until we understand who God is and the greatness of His glory, we don't see the holiness of God, we will never experience the downpour, the blessing, the revival that He wants to bring. Huh? Why? Well, we're going to look at that. But we have to see these throne room pictures. This is a a real life picture into the throne room that God has given to us in the book of Isaiah. Describing who God is in this snapshot of His throne room. The angels declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness also determines mystery. Jot down mystery. See, there's a certain mystery connected with the holiness of God. Verse 4 of Isaiah 6, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Holiness says, this far and no farther. You can only come so close to me. You can only see so much of me, God says. And not this Wizard of Oz picture of some short guy who really has no power, hiding behind a curtain trying to perpetuate some kind of myth. But no, it's an almighty, powerful God that if if we were to see all of Him at once, we would die surely for the greatness of who He is. For our own benefit, for our own good, He limits, He says, this far and no further. There are some things that you and I will never ever figure out about God. It, It kind of perplexes me when I come across an individual who just appears to have everything about God figured out. Be very careful of people who have everything figured out about God. It's a very loud screaming. They don't understand God at all. The holiness of God determines and tells us, requires there is mysteries about God. He is God and you and I are not. He is wholly other, very separate from us. And yet this holy God wants to interact with us and cries out, for us to have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. Mystery continues until the trumpet sounds to the very end, To when we are called to be with Jesus, there will be mystery. I believe we will go on learning in heaven. Scripture gives us evidence to believe that there's ongoing discovery of who God is. We find this mystery continuing to the trumpet sounds in Revelation 10, 4 through 7. We also see in eternity, where we're going to see Him as He is. And there's, there's more knowledge to have. And we will continue to go on learning. And there's this scriptures that call out to us in 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will be, excuse me, and what we will be has not yet been made known. It's a mystery. But what, but what, excuse me, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There are things that we don't know now, there's things that we can't see now, that when we are with Him, we will know more, that we will continue to go on and learn more of who He is. At the sound of their voices, the door posts, and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. There is a mystery to the holiness of God. A final throne room scene I want us to look at tonight is found in Daniel chapter 7. Turn with me to Daniel 7, verse 9 through 10. And Daniel 7, 9 through 10, we see what could be an identical picture of a throne room. It's so similar, it is... It is speaking so much of what we found in Revelation, so much of what we have seen in Isaiah, and yet God is giving us again through another author, through Scripture of His inspired Word, a picture of His greatness of who He is. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, isn't that a great name for God? The Ancient of Days took His seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. You know about the books, don't you? You know what books he's, he's speaking of here. Uh, there's going to be some books. We, we find these in Revelation twenty eleven through 15. Listen as I read about these books that we're hearing here. The book of life is, is opened in verse 11, 20 of chapter 20 of Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books, Revelation 20, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done, Revelation 20:14. 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This picture of a throne room that daniel gives to us gives us a snapshot idea of who god is and the holiness of god until i understand who he is i can't clearly see who i am and if i can't see who i am in relationship to who god is i will miss and you will miss the outpouring the downpour of revival into our soul a friend i i challenge us to look at the day in which we live where the popular message is of cheap grace Most people, even those with a shallow false conversion, are completely unconcerned about their own destiny. Let me ask this question to you. And as I jotted this down, I know who I'm asking the question to. I'm asking the question to myself, I'm asking the question to you, but but this question screams out to us to ask it again tonight. Is your name in the book of life? Well, yes. Of course. Well, maybe a better way to ask the question, a better way to answer the question is, does your life match the reality of a person whose name is in the book of life? Is the way that you are living, is the way that I am living, is the way that we are living matching the reality of one whose name would be written in the book of life? Friend, we are to pass from death to life. We are to have a dramatic personal conversion, a crisis experience with Jesus that the old is gone and the new shall come. He creates in us a new creation. Something should change that happens because of who God is and who we are and what He's done in our life. Can you know God personally and not hunger for His Word? Can you know God personally and not thirst for His Word? For his righteousness can you know god personally and not desire the fellowship of the saints i would say absolutely not right. i'm not trying to make us feel unnecessary guilt i'm not trying to climb your frame and holler at you for the sake of hollering but friends until we understand how holy god is we don't see how Frail and fragile and sinful and and wicked we are and how much we desperately need God Because it's in the understanding of who he is and who we are and how far apart we are that we cry out to God Either in praise and thanksgiving for his salvation or for mercy and confession and repentance of sin Well, pastor brady I I've confessed my sin I live for jesus I'm one of the Sunday night faithful. Leave me alone. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. This doesn't mean that that we have to live in sin in word, thought, and deed every day. This doesn't mean that we can't live a victorious life. By all means, it's the opposite. Those who are living in holiness, those who have victory over willful disobedience, should be the first to declare the greatness and the glory of God. Because we know that the life we have in holiness, the victory we have, has nothing to do with our willpower. Nothing to do with how we don't chew and smoke and go with girls that do and do bad things. It has everything to do with His mercy and His power that He gives to us. And as we cry out for a downpour, cry out for revival, it is directly tied to our understanding of who He is. The reminder of who He is in our life. It's in this preaching of holiness, the height and depth, the standard of this holy God that's often missing in popular church culture today. Without seeing God clearly, we can't see ourselves clearly. And we will never experience the downpour, the revival that God longs for us to have. We need to wake up to the reality of a holy God. There's been a wake-up call, great awakenings in our midst, in our culture, in our country, even in our lifetime. The first of great awakenings came from the time period that Pastor Edgar chose this hymn. I think that one word, Pastor Edgar, there he is, he, he chose was from like 1719. Anybody around in 1719? We're all spring chickens, okay? That's like a long time ago. But in 1730s and 1740s, that may have been the top 20 of church hymns at that time. I don't know. Here's what was going on around these parts. The First Great Awakening took place in the 1730s and 1740s and swept up and down the Atlantic seaboard from Nova Scotia to Georgia. Conversions in the colonies increased fourfold during this time. Jonathan Edwards was a key preacher In this great awakening. But don't mistake who he was and why God chose to use him. Reportedly we are told that Jonathan Edwards was a tall and very thin man. Extremely unimpressive in his communication skills. (laughs) I love that. That just smells like God to do that. Jonathan Edwards would not only preach for an hour long Every time he would speak, his head would be down and he would read his sermon in entirety. This was his communication skills. But yet he possessed a deep and profound belief in the holiness of God and the reality of hell. And God chose to use the message from his word, the truth, to come forth to lead to a great awakening. In 1741, one of Edward's famous sermons, now famous was preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. The point of the sermon was to awaken the people to the utter holiness of God and their need to be reconciled to Him. One eyewitness, one who was there hearing the sermon, is giving this account in this quote. His name is Stephen Williams. He was there hearing this wonderfully encouraging sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And here's what he wrote. We went over to hear Mr. Edwards, who preached the most awakening message. Before the sermon was done, there was a great moaning and crying out throughout the whole house. People exclaiming, What shall I do to be saved? Oh, I'm going to hell. What must I do to be with Jesus? So much so that the shrieks and the cries were over the voice of the minister, and he had to stop preaching. This is the report of an eyewitness there of this beginning of a great awakening. I want to share with you and read, actually, a portion of this sermon to get a taste of what such awakening looked like then. And how it connects directly to their view and understanding of who God is. And it fits with these throne room pictures we find in Scripture of understanding who a holy God is. Declaring His glory. And it, it, it points to the mysteries of who God is. It calls us to a new understanding of who we are. Jonathan Edwards preaches. The wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the very present. They are held back Like waters in a dam, they increase more and more and rise higher and higher until an outlet is given. The wrath of God, the longer the stream is stopped, the longer and more mighty the course it will take. And once it is let loose, it is true that judgment against your evil works will be executed. The floods of God's vengeance has been withheld. But your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing. And you are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising more and more, and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God holding back the waters. If God should only withdraw His hand from the floodgates, it would immediately fly open and the fiery floods of wrath of a holy God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And even if your strength was 10,000 times more than it is now, it would be nothing to withstand or to compete or to endure it. The bow of God's wrath, Edwards preaches, is bent. The arrow is made ready on the string. His justice bends, and the arrow is aimed at our heart. It's nothing more than the mere pleasure of God that keeps the arrow in the bow for one moment longer. Listen to this. All of you who were never truly born again, never truly made a new creation, while you have some kind of reform in your life, you have some kind of affection for God, you have kept some form of religion, uh, Edward preaches, but nothing but mere pleasure of God keeps you from being swallowed up by God's wrath. However unconvinced you may be, he says, by this truth, by and by, or in other words, throughout time, you will be convinced of this truth. Those who now see the truth can testify that what they are relying on was nothing but thin air and empty shadows. (laughs) Wouldn't that be encouraging to hear? This is what was coming out at that great awakening in the 1700s. Friend, eternity is rushing upon us, even at this moment. It will be here in a breath, in a vapor. It will be here upon us in a moment. And when we understand how long eternity is and how short this life is, it begins to make everything else pale in comparison. And while we conceive ourselves as being someone who always gets everything right... Could it possibly be that we have misled ourselves to think that we are closer to God than we really are? That God really doesn't care about these gray areas in our life? The pictures from Isaiah, from Revelation, from Daniel say something different. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All of the earth declares his glory, and his holiness says, wait a minute, this is unacceptable. Jonathan Edward forms it and says, Hey, hey, there's, there's just this damming up of convicting waters, building and building and building. It's only by the grace of God that his hand holds it back. It's for his mere pleasure, but if he would let go, we would be wiped out by the guilt of our sin. Well, what does this have to do with revival? Isn't this like scare tactics? Isn't this like emotionalism? I believe we have even. Closer examples of this downpour, outpouring of the Spirit. Some of you may have been present. Many in this room were affected by an outpouring in 1970 of a revival at Asbury College. It's reported, if you've not heard the story, check my Facebook. I posted a link to an excellent 30-minute documentary of what took place there. As I sat in the kitchen of dr Kinlaw and asked him about this experience i'll never forget what he told me i was wanting to know what he would say from one excellent leader in himself to one young punk of a leader in myself of of what you do to help usher in and he said I, i sat in the back and tried to get out of the way When Revival broke loose, he said, I was in Canada. I was nowhere near Wilmore, Kentucky. When I got the phone call that there was a problem, my first thoughts went to all the riots that were going on in college campuses during that era of what was happening and college presidents being locked in their offices and and there was all kinds of havoc raking loose all over the campus. And when I was told the problem was chapel, I didn't know what to think. He says it was 7 o'clock at night and chapel started at 10 in the morning and the dean of students said... Dr. Kinlaw, it's seven at night and chapel has not ended yet. And he begins to describe in this documentary and he described and shared with me personally of what took place. And it was not some fanatical experience that was fixated or focused on any particular gift that God gives. No particular gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the entire revival that ended up sweeping across the country, across not only the United States but up into Canada and even reportedly into Mexico, there was not one sermon preached in that revival. Uh, The pattern he talks about is this, and it ties to what we're hearing tonight, that there was a great need among those people, and there was a group of people who were praying for an outpouring. But Dr. Kinlaw says, we've always been in great need and there has never been a time when there's not been a group of people who've been crying out for revival. At his campus anyway. But God chose to move and what took place is one man came forward and out of an understanding of who God was and a clear picture of who He was, the focus was not on any particular gift, but the focus was on sin. The focus was on confession and repentance of sin. It was on restitution for sin. And he described the pattern that one man or one woman would stand up before the chapel and would confess an area of sin in their life. Confess means to say the same thing about it that God says. And they would repent. They had asked God to forgive them and they wanted to make it right. And as they would tell that story and give testimony to the forgiveness of sin that they felt affirmed in their heart. Each and every time, someone else who was hearing would say, that's like that's like me. And they would come forward and they would confess their sin at the altar. And when that would happen, they would sing a song of praise. And then it would start over again. It wasn't preaching. It wasn't planned. It wasn't something that they prepared for in any specific way. It was this understanding of who a holy God was that brought conviction to the hearts of those who saw who they really were and the presence of a holy God. And when the whole earth would declare the glory of God, they would say, as those who heard Jonathan Edwards, Oh, who am I, a sinner on my way to hell? What must I do to be right with Jesus? What's been on my heart this afternoon as I've been praying over these words is one of the testimonies from that documentary. You can check it out on Facebook and find that link there on my page. Of Dr. Kinlaw talking about one particular girl, one particular college student. Her father was a friend of Dr. Kinlaw and this girl's father was, oh, I forget the rank in the Salvation Army. Was a strong leader in the Salvation Army. And raised his daughter in the church and in the things of God and in the holiness movement. And this daughter called her dad at that revival time and money was tight and so the deal was only call home when it's an emergency. And so dad answers knowing that there's got to be an emergency and, and says to his daughter, what's the emergency? And she says, there's no emergency, I have some great news to tell you. And he says, Okay and she said dad i found jesus and this salvation army minister said you found jesus you've known jesus your whole life no dad i found jesus but but honey you don't understand you you have been with me in street meetings. You have helped lead youth camps. You've been around the things of God. You've helped teach the things of God. What do you mean you found Jesus? She said, no, no. I did those things not because I loved Jesus. I did those things, she said, because I loved you. I did those things to please you. But I have found Jesus and it has changed everything. This awakening was not only for those who lived far out in ignorance from God, but an even greater awakening for those who were so close to the things of God, but had never really encountered the very God in which they had grown accustomed to being close to the rituals of Him. What would it look like over the next number of weeks if we prayerfully press in, and not just pray for Grace point? not just pray for the church of Fort Wayne, not just pray for the church of Indiana or the church of the United States or the body of Christ around the globe, but what if we would press it and say, God, would you help me see clear who you are so that I may see who I am before you? There's a place to intercede in prayer for others. But I believe, history tells us, recent and ancient, that the greatest perpetuation of an outpouring, a downpour, a revival of the Holy Spirit is not me praying for someone else, but it's me getting right with God. It's you getting right with God. It's saying, God, I need more of you. Set me on fire. Let me burn for you in a way that the focus is on the sinfulness that I have confessed. On the forgiveness that you have given to me. And the glory that I can testify to you being a holy God. And I don't know what we're supposed to do from here. That's all that God put on my heart tonight. So we're going to figure this out together. I'm not supposed to tell you that, but that's the truth. <laughs> I wish God would give me a better bow to tie it up in, but that's where we're at. So as we get ready to take off and go do whatever you do on Sunday night. I think maybe we have a window, a slice of an opportunity to get beyond just the here and now. And look into some eternal significance of what God wants to do in our midst. I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar or Carrie or somebody to come whoever wants to. Edgar, there he is. Come on up, Edgar. And I'm going to have him lead us in whatever song comes to his heart. And I'm not asking you to do anything other than let the Word of God marinate in your heart. As we respond to the truth that He's given to us, I encourage you, as you pray and you meditate and you sing, That if your heart is clear, let it erupt with praise. Join all creation that is full of the glory of God. If there are things that are blocking that flow of the Holy Spirit, why wait any other moment to experience the fullness and the greatness of God? I don't anticipate we'll hang out long, but I do anticipate that God wants to do something in our hearts, and so let's take just a few moments, or however many moments He directs for us to have, to respond to Him in obedience, in praise, lifting our hearts and our focus to Him.